It's December 1st. You're locked into Real Talk. What an episode coming up today. William H. Macy, Rick Mercer, no big deal. This episode, of course, proudly presented by our partners at Bitcoin. Well, it's the fastest and safest way to buy Bitcoin. It's non-custodial which means they send their Bitcoin directly to you. Most online exchanges don't do this. You're you're waiting for them to send you your Bitcoin. That's not how they do it at Bitcoin. Well, that's just one of the reasons why they're worth checking out. I trust them. I use them. I ask them questions. I'll never tell you to buy Bitcoin, but if you're thinking about doing it, these are the guys to talk to. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to, what is he, 21-time Gemini Award winner Rick Mercer about his brand new book, Talking to Canadians. This is a conversation that we recorded on Monday. It's kind of unusual for us here at Real Talk to bring you recorded content, but we were excited to have a chance to sit down with Rick Mercer. That's coming up in just a second. William H. Macy joining me in about a half an hour to talk about this. This is our brand new collaboration with Woody Creek Distillers. He's involved in that project, a distillery out of the great state of Colorado. This is the Real Talk cask number one, uh, a cask that I personally selected working with their master distiller, and we're really excited about it. If you support our Patreon, you already have an email explaining all of this. And coming up next Monday, you're going to find out where you can find this bourbon available to the public. So Mercer coming up in just a second. We want to remind you right now, if you visit McBainCamera.com, you're going to find out that the Black Friday sales are continuing until December 2nd. Uh, you can save up to $400 on the Fujifilm X-T4 camera body. Whether it's photography or videography, the Fujifilm X-T4 has been designed to be the ultimate hybrid image-making tool. It's got this powerful 26-megapixel sensor, state-of-the-art 5-axis in-body image stabilization. It means if you're shooting like zoomed in or if maybe you have the jitters, you haven't had your coffee, or maybe you're a little over-caffeinated, the camera's going to compensate for you. Your photos are going to look amazing. There's 24-hour delivery available within Edmonton. In-store pickup also available at all six McBain locations. Find them online at McBainCamera.com. McBain, create to inspire. Our friends at Breathe Outdoors know that this is the perfect time to be getting outside. The weather's amazing. Seasons are turning. You're pretty soon going to hear the, the crunch of snow under your boots and and then you're going to be reminded, when I put my boots away last spring, I forgot they had all the cracks in the soles and, and all this beautiful kind of shoulder season weather means that my socks are getting wet and my the socks I've had for 19 years now and they're very sentimental, but they don't really work and there's new technology and outdoor gear and maybe I should go to breatheoutdoors.ca to find out what they have done. Rebranding from the brand you've trusted since the 1960s, Campers Village. You'll find all the top brands. They know you love the outdoors. They want to help you love it even more. You can find what they're doing. Check out that new brand. It's beautiful at breatheoutdoors.ca. Our friends at Kubi Energy are running off their feet right now. I talked to Jake yesterday, the CEO. As a matter of fact, we had lunch together. Wanted me to give you a shout out, Real Talkers. I said, how's the first year been on Real Talk? He goes, man. He goes, Real Talkers know what's up with sustainable energy. I go, right? So I go, what kind of projects have you been doing? He goes, oh, you name it. Commercial, residential. They're doing BC, Alberta. They're sending teams across Western Canada. And then, of course, the agricultural applications are amazing. He said, man. Make sure you remind everybody 
there's these incentives, right? Whether they're they're federal government incentives or, or provincial or even municipal in some communities, there's ways that people can knock thousands of dollars off solar installs. They're the experts at kubienergy.ca. Our next guest is the winner of 21 Geminis in the Governor General's Performing Arts Award. His new memoir, Talking to Canadians, published earlier this month, an immediate bestseller. He is beloved by Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Here it is, Talking to Canadians, the new book by Rick Mercer. Welcome to Real Talk. It's so good to have you here. It is great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's kind of funny. I was uh, your uh, publicist, or the, at least the publisher, sent us uh, your memoir a few weeks ago for for me to flip through and make some notes and 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 kind of maybe get to know some of the things about you that that we may not have known. And there's a ton in right. here that's amazing, but your prologue wasn't going to be part of my first question to you until today the backstory is we've had we've had devastating technical difficulties today we're supposed to have rick freaking mercer live and instead everything collapses and here you are telling us about october 1990 where you're supposed to have your production reviewed on cbc radio and it just goes completely sideways you know the feeling yeah yeah oh i know the feeling when things go sideways (laughs) (laughs) absolutely that's how you learn you learn from when things go sideways when things go tickety-boo you learn very little yeah you start to get a little high on the horse if you know what i mean when everything works out day after day after day uh so so you get this uh this this interview is coming up and and the host of the ottawa morning show is is teeing up this segment and they're going to review your one-man show at the national arts center and right before they come to you the reviewer says instead of review i'm going to read an open letter to mr mercer i hope he's listening you write, yes. I was listening. He says, Dear Mr. Mercer, show me the button. I'll push it is not a play. You are not a playwright, nor are you an actor. Please leave the theater. You have nothing to offer. <laughs> yes. And I was I was 19 years old. Oh. I was like in the hotel room. I thought <laughs> I was on the top of the world because this show was doing so well. And it was doing so well. The CBC in St. John's had arranged to carry the, the the review on their morning show. I'd never even heard of that happening. I just assumed it was going to be glowing. <laughs> so how does how does a nineteen year old Rick Mercer, who's who's obviously seeing some some early success, and and by all means, yeah. I mean you know that performance got, it's kind of launched you as you write about in the book. But in that moment, you know you write about your feet hitting the floor in the hotel room, and and you're sitting there, and it probably have a, a bit of a gurgle in the pit of your stomach. You know, a week oh, yeah. a week later, a month later, a year later, how, how do you come back from a review, a non review like that? I don't. I remember, I definitely, part of me, it struck me as funny just because it was so bad and so short and so quotable. And I've always been good with that. I've always been good with uh, taking those kinds of kinds of punches. But uh, I, I probably improved as time went on. But obviously, as a 19-year-old, it was probably a bit of a blow. Although I don't really remember being that devastated. I remember just kind of responding like, wow, you know, what the hell does he know? What do critics know? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, I was pretty cocky. I don't think it really damaged me that much. And the reason why I include it, it's not to settle scores. It's, I just think it's a funny review. And, uh, and it does speak to the realities of show business sometimes. 
I think it's I think it's amazing that you included it. And uh, and and it's kind of in a way it's like when you have a chance to go back to that high school teacher 25 years later, the one that said you're not going to amount to anything if you keep clowning around in the back of the room. Yeah. It's that sort of a thing. I guess the, the Matt Damon on the window. How do you like them apples kind of move maybe a little bit, but, but with proper Canadian humility. Yeah, and I changed his name because he's deceased, uh, and so I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to cause any consternation for any uh, any of his family members who remember him fondly as a huge champion of Canadian theater or anything like yeah, that. So yeah. I just decided to change the name to something equally as snotty. Yeah. Um, if you asked me for my favorite picture of me, I would immediately know which one it is, and I and I used that headshot for as long as I possibly could. Let me is is this your favorite picture of you of all? time the one on the cover I here say it, i wouldn't say it's my favorite but it's the first time that i, I like a photographer took my picture yeah and it was for the first one-man show and i had to go to the salvation army and buy a jacket because i didn't own one and uh so and then it was that show launched my career and that was the picture that was put on the poster and i ended up doing that show right across canada and that's the poster that traveled with me. So I certainly have fond memories of that. And plus, you know, when you reach a certain point, you go, do they really need a fat faced 50 year old on the cover? Well, <laughs> I, you know, what? I would say the one uh, economy, the gig economy that may not recover from the pandemic, at least for a year and a half or so, is probably portrait and headshot photographers. Uh, my team keeps telling me I need a new headshot. I'm like, like hell right now. I need, I need no. a year to recover from this. And, and you don't need them anyway. I, I only ever did four, I think, my entire career. I would just we would just put up the same picture all the time. No, oh, it's the Mercer report. That's what he looks like. Kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Tune in and find out. You know, you never yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, it's interesting. I mean, the the book, Talking to Canadians, it's, uh, I mean, it sort of takes through some insight. I want to ask you about your mom keeping your report cards. My mom did the same thing. But, but, but it's not necessarily kind of the, it's not a memoir about the who's who of everybody you interviewed. You share some really interesting insights into some of the world leaders that you talk to. I love the story about Mike Hockabee. The story about W is amazing. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But, but it's a bit of a different direction with the book you're not just name dropping all the way through where did the idea come from i guess it's just the stories that i like to tell and it's the memories that i have memories of such a weird thing i don't remember anything about grade four i look at the, the photograph the class photo in that classroom um i barely remember being in that classroom but in grade three i distinctly remember the day i decided to glue my hand to my forehead to make timmy green laugh and then it turned into a medical emergency like, i remember that like it was yesterday i don't know why and i'm sure things happened in grade four i don't know and in grade three that's when the hippies in the van as i call them because that's what the teacher called them these these actors showed up and did a play in the library for the kids and it was a seminal moment in my life because i realized in hindsight not much interest in me. I wasn't one of those kids who was obsessed with dinosaurs or obsessed with cars or obsessed with anything. I was just kind of going along, whatever, until this play was performed in the library. And it was mind blowing. I could, it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. And I couldn't believe that there were people, that was their job, that they travel around the Avalon Peninsula in a van and doing plays for children. I mean, now that strikes me as hell quite frankly but at the time i just thought it was the most exciting thing and from then on i was aware that show business was a thing i uh not to get too esoteric here but you kind of wonder like if the hippies in the van knew that 
Did you go? What did you go by? Did you go by Rick when you were a kid, or was it like Rich or Richard? What did you go by? I was Ricky then. Ricky, grade three. So they knew Ricky. like little little Ricky in grade three is going to go on to win 20, uh, 20 plus Gemini awards. Pretty incredible, right? The seeds that are planted. You kind of wonder the influence that you've had probably on this next generation of storytellers in Canada. I always loved that. I always loved the notion of that. At one point, I left school and toured Newfoundland with a clown and uh, I literally <laughs> ran away and joined the circus. And I always was so thrilled because it reminded me of those hippies in the van because we were literally doing shows in schools and you'd see the kids and they loved it so much. And yeah, I've thought about that because it's probably like you with radio or whatever. Uh, lots of people grew up listening to radio, but then certain people became obsessed with radio yeah. and they wanted to be part of it. And that doesn't mean they necessarily wanted to be uh, on the air, but they thought, and there's producers, what do they do? And there's chase people, what do they do? It was just the most exciting thing to me. And, and so, yeah, I was always aware that with the Mercer Report, especially, we were always being played in schools. And I love that because you probably remember that when you'd be sitting in class and the teacher would come in with the projector and you'd like, oh, thank God my prayers are answered. doesn't even matter what's on that film, but we're going to watch a film that's so exciting. And I always loved when I heard that segments of my show would be played in schools. And I always wondered that. Yeah, there might be some kid out there who decides, aha, TV, this is for me. Did commentary. And a big part of that, uh, I mean, Canadians would would connect with your rants in a really special way. And you took on some matters of social justice and and throughout it, it gave you a bit of a different avenue, didn't it? And and certainly a unique style of storytelling. And I know you'll probably take the opportunity to compliment your technical production staff because those camera shots were always incredible. Yeah. But what, what went into those rants? If I have to pick, those are the my favorite things of what you've done. Well, thank you. And it was it was a super important part of the show and it was only 90 seconds. Yeah. Uh, but in many ways, as much as I loved all the other elements of the show and I loved the travel and the celebrating the places we visited, it, in some ways, I I viewed the show as all of that stuff was window dressing around the rants and the rants. I would I would always write on a Thursday uh Thursday, five o'clock. I would sit down, I would start writing and I would write a substantial document about what was going on and what I thought I wanted to say about an issue through that process. I would kind of, the point of view would develop. And then um, when I got it all down, then it would start distilling it. And it was a bit like putting a cow on the stove and trying to get a cup of gravy, like just distill, 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 because you got to get it down in 90 seconds. And then once that happened, then I had to learn it because we would go out and shoot in a live alley. So civilians were in the alley. There was people buying and selling things that perhaps shouldn't have been. Uh, there was lots of things going up, trucks backing up, beep, beep, beep. Lots of things could ruin a take. And we only had, it had to be all in one take. And that camera is 40 pounds. My camera's, cameraman's walking backwards. So he had the harder job, but I really wanted to make sure that when takes were ruined, it wasn't because I didn't know my line. So I would, I would learn the hell out of them. And, uh, we would hopefully bang them off in in five to 10 to 15 takes. And uh, that was it. But uh, you're right about the technical prowess. I only ever had two people who shot rants over 30 years. Wow. Between talking to him between um, this hour is 22 minutes, this cameraman by the name of Pete Sutherland, and then Don Spence, this camera operator who uh, 
did everything with me for the 15 years of the Mercer Report. Well, I love that you, you give shouts out to crew members and colleagues uh, in front of and behind the camera through the book, and it gives some great insight into how these things come around. Um, I, I love you share some teachers' comments from one of your grade 11 report cards. Your mom kept this like big folder. My parents did the yeah. same. They gave me, um, I, I'm not trying to compare us, yeah. Rick, but I will say we do have a few things in common, like, quote, yeah. capable of better work, more effort needed, insufficient work done, capable of effort, insufficient work <laughs> you know i mean I know. but but it was it, you know what some kids are gonna love to hear that i mean grade 11 students right now that are getting you know c pluses or you know b minuses or what have you and they keep hearing about all this potential they have i think sometimes that's yeah. a, that's a bit of a tool in the toolkit it's it's just people are wired differently people learn differently right yeah and when and i was such a bad student and i really regret it i really do and there's no excuse i didn't have a learning disability i didn't have trouble at home there was wasn't like there was no place i could do homework i just didn't do it um and i really regret that because when you're a poor student you're constantly there's constant anxiety because you don't have your homework done you don't know what the assignments are you just constantly but then once i discovered theater i know it sounds hokey then I became the hardest working guy in the room. Then I would work five hours a night, no sweat, let alone if I had just done the 20, 30, 40 minutes of homework, I would have been fine probably. I just never did. So uh, hopefully if there are those kids out there in grade 11 that are struggling like that, they know that, A, you can actually get back on the track because I actually believe I could. I felt I'm so far behind. It doesn't matter. Not a man on earth could dig, dig their way out of this hole. It's not really that big a hole. Just put just go to work out of it. And certainly I was lucky because I made a career, but had I not, I would have been in serious trouble because I literally wouldn't have been qualified to do anything. Um, I don't know what would have happened. I love that you write about, you know, to have a successful career. You know, you say you've got to have talent. You've got to have discipline. You've got to be fearless. And then sometimes you got to get lucky. And for sure. Right. Because everybody knows that one friend of theirs that's absolutely hilarious. But unless you can put all the tools together and get a little bit of luck, the right person hears you or sees you. Maybe it's all for naught. The the drummer of Motley Crue. People like that. Don't tell me that luck wasn't part of it because there's lots of great drummers and there's lots of great guitarists. And if you if you if you want to go into the arts or you want to go into the theater or film or any of that business, if you want to play guitar for a living, you got to ask yourself if there's anything else you could possibly do. And if there is, do that and then play guitar on the side. Have the great, great bar band, you, you know, get involved in amateur theater because it's a really tough road. And I would be lying to say, well, if you work hard and you have the talent, you can do it. No, you need luck and you can't count on luck. You can't take luck to the bank. If you become a teacher, you don't need luck to get a job. You'll get one eventually. But uh, yeah. For radio, for TV, film, any of that business, it's uh, it's it's a bit of a gamble. Let's face it. It's interesting. This uh, and I'm about to say something so obvious, but this relationship that we have with our American neighbors and it, it's flared up in the last couple of weeks. People are talking about softwood lumber again, and before that, it was with Huawei, and we detained Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei executive, yeah. and people are going, "Oh, these Americans are pushing us in a tough spot." And yet, at the same time, there's been this beautiful kind of symbiotic relationship. And one of the big COVID adjustments has been the closure of that border for travel. We we have a really interesting uh, relationship with Americans. We 
when when you hatched the idea of talking to Americans and then started pulling it off and then it started getting more and more prominent uh, with some of the people you were featuring, you get the Mike Flash in front of George W. Bush, Mike Huckabee's on there and others. Uh, when did you know that you had lightning in a bottle uh, with regards to the dynamic of that relationship? Right out of the gate. And it was a fluke. It, there was never any process of thinking about it, developing it. I was in the United States doing something else in Washington. I was going to do a rant. We were going to do some sort of sketch. I can't really remember what it was. It's completely insignificant. And this guy started talking to me and just saying weird things about Canada to me. Like, what are you doing way up here? And I just wasn't in the mood. And I said, oh, I'm. they just assumed we were a news crew. And I said, I'm following the president of Canada. He said, oh, yeah, I heard he was in town. And then I gave him some story about there being a summit and he he bought that but then he brought up alphabetical order and i said i'm sorry what's that he said alphabetical order a goes before b b goes before c what you don't have that in canada and i said no no we don't i said do you, do you, would you mind uh, if i interviewed you and you could explain to me how alphabetical order works he was like yeah i could do that and so i called my camera guy over and i said we're going to do an interview with this guy and he didn't know what was going on because we never interviewed people on the streets and we did this thing and then I said goodbye, then I stopped someone else and talked to them about alphabetical order and this fictional summit between two presidents. And then we had this piece, but we didn't know what it was. But when it aired, the audience was so confused and they thought it was so funny, but they didn't believe it was real. They were confused. And they, this is the only time it ever happened. When it was over, someone said, play that again. <laughs> and then when they played it again and the laughs were just as strong, I thought, oh, we're onto something. And it was an incredible feeling because Already 22 Minutes was a hit show, and suddenly I was on a rocket because I had a segment inside a hit show that people were demanding week after week. It's kind, And it doesn't happen very often. I, I, at SCTV, I'm not comparing myself to the geniuses of SCTV, but when they did Bob and Doug McKenzie, that was an afterthought. No one involved with SCTV the week that Bob and Doug McKenzie premiered on the show thought that Bob and Doug McKenzie we're going to spawn movies and books and number one albums and all that business. They just thought it was they were two guys goofing around, making fun of Canadian content rules. And yet it took off It captured the imagination of the country. And that's the way it felt. It was really exciting. And it was also a great gig because I could travel to all these great American cities and we could bang one off in about three or four hours. We told head office it would take us all day and half the next morning. That's we right. bang one off in three or four hours. We go to a ball game, go out and have a great dinner, yeah. fly back the next day and say, we're exhausted. We actually just had a great, great trip to Cleveland or Seattle or wherever. I love you wrote about that, how you and your crews, when you're on the road, you'd be on these extended road trips. You know, you say we, we make each other's promise. We're not just going to have gas station, you know, hoagie subs every night. We're going to make yeah. sure and go have a nice meal. Where does where does your creative process thrive? Where does it happen? Is it three in the morning? Is it around the dinner table? Uh, well, us deciding that we were going to eat well on the road, and that doesn't mean expensive necessarily. That was just uh, that was just the, one of the coping mechanisms of being on the road. I've been on the road a lot. I'm good at it, and I don't mind it. But uh, uh, the food can be awful, as you probably know. So we always viewed eating in the lobby as a as a, a, a signature of defeat, and uh, we had a lot of good times. Of course, because that's at the end of the day when you're decompressing and you're figuring out how the day went, what you're going to need to shoot the next day. That was uh, an important part of the creative process because it would be my director, my camera operator. And yeah, that was, uh, those were good days. 
I don't know how you, you write a lot about uh, not a lot, but I mean, you write about Stockwell Day in your book and and it, Stockwell Day almost, you know, respectfully uh, seems like a bit of an afterthought from a Western Canadian perspective when it comes to current conversations about yeah. conservatism. Right. So, some of the old great conservatives, you know, are, are, are revered yeah. or their names are invoked. You know, Ralph Klein, people talk. Obviously, Stephen Harper gets a lot of attention, but there's Stockwell Day's time is kind of glossed over in your assessment. Uh, the, the jet ski incident is incredible. I was almost well, crying. I was crying when I was reading it. Well, that's why it's there, because it's funny. I, I really enjoyed writing that stuff. Oh, but I man. will say this about Stockwell Day. You know, Stockwell Day became leader of the Alliance Party. Jean Chrétien pulled a total fast one. He was thrown into an election before he could blink. But he hadn't met half his caucus, for God's sakes, and they were thrown into an election. It was a very cruel move on Chrétien's part. And Chrétien justifying an election was astounding. I think he had almost three years, two and a half years left in his mandate. And Stockwell Day's tenure as a leader, there's no doubt about it, it was disastrous. But then when Stephen Harper became prime minister, Stockwell Day served numerous numerous portfolios and he did it well and he never ever had any scandal and he always did the job and they weren't always uh thankful portfolios either so he actually did a very good job and i often predicted if it wasn't for the last bit of trouble he got in although i think that could probably be dealt with uh he he could have yet another act and the conservatives are always looking for a leader and uh, he could have another act yet yeah, are that's, you? That's are, my take. Are you? I would imagine that uh, you're still paying pretty keen attention to political developments, etc. I'm mean, talking about whether or not elections were necessary. That was kind of the conservative uh, cry foul during this last one with the prime minister yeah. who gets a second. And I mandate. thought that was. I thought that was entirely legitimate. I yeah. I, I thought it was. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought it was entirely egregious. Quite frankly, that there was an election called in the middle of a pandemic, uh, especially with two years left. And and nothing really pressing. There was no real reason. People were. Yeah, there's no real reason for that election to be called. It was ridiculous. What's your take on Aaron O'Toole? Do you, do you think he has what it takes? Do you see a prime ministerial potential in him? I've always liked Aaron O'Toole. I think the Conservative Party has, you know, I don't want to make it sound like all is lost. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that the Liberals were in third place mm-hmm. and they just had ricocheted from the terrible leaders from terrible leaders from the point of view of whether or not they were successful or not. So anything can happen, but the conservatives, they have that reckoning. It's that the social conservatives are very powerful and I don't blame them. There's nothing right. If you're a social conservative, what else are you going to do? But uh, it's tough to get elected in this country and form a government if the social conservatives have that much influence over your party. And this is the problem the, the conservatives are always you have to deal with you have to court the social conservatives to get the job as leader and then you got to run an election and then you start to disavow them and they go bonkers you're uh, right stephen harper handled it masterfully mm. uh but i've never seen anyone come close to it since yeah i mean and, and a unique leadership style from harper to be sure that worked i think probably ad hoc in a way right you know, coming up with yeah. sort of that premise that the party's got to be united and, and with that uniting. I mean, Alberta's seeing it happen right now with the provincial government, right? Same sure. sort of a story, right? Where it's like the fringe is the one that oftentimes makes the most noise and causes the biggest problems for the leader. And I'll say something about liberals, like liberal members of parliament are all under the delusion that they might be put in the cabinet. So they all they all like suck up to head office. 
But conservatives, a lot of these conservatives, especially the older guys, they, they know even if they form a government, they're never going into cabinet. They know that, so they don't really care what the leader has to say. They'll, be, they'll support the leader, but they're not going to kowtow to them. Not in the same way that uh, that the, the, the MPs really just take the lead from the PMO's office. And, I mean, Harper had incredible discipline, but it took him a long time to get the party to come to the come around to the point that if we just all get on the same page, we could actually form a government. And then he did. So he had a lot of discipline for a long time, but it's very hard. I mean, look at Aaron O'Toole. There was a, there was a, you know, a freedom caucus was announced to, to look at both sides of the vaccine issue. I mean, you, you need that kind of headache when you're the leader of a party. Can you imagine? Oh man. Must be a nightmare. Must be a nightmare. Well, I remember it was, it was like months before the election. And I think, you know, obviously generating some, some, Press and also wanting to get ahead of the climate change conversation. Aaron O'Toole says that conservatives will have a viable climate policy. And here's kind of the bones of the structure of what it will look like. And the cannibalism that happened in the first day yeah. uh, was yeah. just fascinating to watch. I mean, it's like it's almost like there's not really necessarily a desire to win so much as to stick to certain principles, you know? Well, they but see, the party acted like that until Stephen Harper convinced them that they could actually win. Mm. And then things calm down. But all the parties have their their local color, let's call them. You know, those people in the party, that's just they they exist to cause troubles for the for the leader, it seems like. But the conservative these days, they they have a few more than the liberals have to deal with. We've been lucky enough to have uh, some extended length conversations with a, a couple of your uh, colleagues. I suppose you'd call them. Lyndon McIntyre, of course, had like an incredible career on the fifth estate. Peter Mansbridge, sure. uh, whose yeah. career has been unbelievable. Obviously, former host of of the national. And I've picked both of their brains on the current state of the CBC uh, with, yeah. regard, you know, answering it at whatever angle you want or taking whatever tone you want. Lyndon talked a lot about longer form journalism and how he prioritizes that and doesn't see as much of an investment there. Obviously, Mansbridge with some interesting comments on the current format of the National, how it's quite a bit different than it was when he was anchoring. Your time at the CBC when you started versus where it's at now, what's your assessment of the, the direction it's going? And do you think it's sticking to what it should be doing best? I could talk about this all day. And it's mm. something I never, ever talked about for a long time because I just felt that my opinion on public broadcasting was nothing that anyone was remotely interested in. And they would say, well, of course he supports public broadcasting. He's on the bloody thing. Now that I'm no longer on the bloody thing. And I never worked for the CBC, by the way, ever. Not, not a day in my life. I only ever sold them TV shows. Right. But uh, the CBC had such a profound impact on my life. Uh, but the part of the CBC that had the profound impact was regional broadcasting. They were, they, once upon a time, the CBC produced things in Newfoundland that was just for the Newfoundland audience. And they weren't slick, but they featured Newfoundland musicians and Newfoundland talk shows. And, and it was not only reflecting the country back to the province, but the province back to the province. And that just slowly disappeared over the years. Uh, the, that, that plant in St. John's now couldn't, produce a, a musical variety show if they wanted to. And the same goes for Alberta or British Columbia. And I found that very unfortunate. And I think in many ways, it's easy to criticize the CBC because TV is changing so drastically. No one knows what it's going to look like in five minutes versus five years from now. And so they're constantly trying to play catch up. I will say that there's a show on CBC Gym, and it just aired on the network called uh, Sort of which on paper, when I heard about it, I thought, my, my God, I'll never watch that. But it's 
It's an incredible piece of uh, programming. It's very funny. It's very heartfelt. I think it's going to be adored all over the world. I don't really care about that part. I just like CBC to make shows for Canada. But uh, I think there's certainly bright spots. There's certainly things you can look at and point to as successful. But uh, I would like to see a return to more regional programming, more local. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the whole point. Right. Like you laid out and, and yeah. people talk about them like I don't like using the word justification. I'd prefer probably mandate. But if but but mm-hmm. a, a key part of that is ensuring that relevant information and vetted, you know, in, information that has integrity from a journalistic standpoint is making its way to communities across Canada that otherwise would have zero coverage. And I look bigger picture. Sure. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like I could talk to you about news coverage because in a way, I mean, you're not just sure. a comedian. You're not just a satirist. Like, obviously, you've got those chops, too. And it's it's just really I would like concerning. To see, for example, I would like to see something. I would like to see some substantial programming that was, and I don't know what it is. It doesn't have to be a dreary documentary, but I would like to get to know the community of Fort McMurray. Mm. And I know the community of Fort McMurray, but I would like the rest of the country to get to know the community of Fort McMurray. At least then that would provide a context when people are talking about oil production in the West or what have you, but at least put a face to the people that you're talking about. And I think that has to be a role of the public broadcaster. Uh, if, if people in the East understand inherently what, what people in the in in a place like Fort McMurray are going through what their community is like that you know that can only be a good thing just like I think uh, people in Western Canada should understand what's going on in Newfoundland or Quebec and if the public broadcaster can play a part doing that then that would only be a good thing yeah well said you've got this event coming up Tuesday December 7th uh, imagine on air presenting Rick Mercer in conversation with Jan Arden people can check out wordfest.com for more details on that do you know her personally do you guys have a good relationship oh yeah oh yeah Jan saved my ass a lot an awful a lot of times on the Mercer report and she became a regular uh, and the show never had regulars but she became a regular she's she's a great friend and she's a very passionate funny person and uh, yeah she's one of my favorites she's hilarious I mean obviously I'm looking looking forward to seeing the two of you back in action together Um, so you've got the book down talking to Canadians already a bestseller I mean it was as soon as it was released which is pretty exciting and now everybody's kind of emerging from this COVID fog you you know you you decide you, you retire uh, from a TV show at the top of your game. And now I guess the world's your oyster. And probably I would imagine when you're Rick Mercer at this stage in your career, a lot of doors open. People take your phone calls. People would be very uh, keen on working with you. What's catching your attention? I mean, th- th- that idea of a doc on Fort McMurray, isn't that interesting? But, but what else is kind of raising your eyebrows these days? Well, I just had the idea about the doc on Fort McMurray. So <laughs> <laughs> give me a chance to make a phone call. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know, actually. I, I really enjoyed writing this and I, I needed a project. And so this was this was there. And and the next thing is I'm going back out on the road with Just for Laughs and doing a comedy tour across the country and doing stand up. And that's something I really enjoyed and something that I developed pretty late in life. I, I always stood on stage and hosted things and told a few jokes, but I never did full stand up sets. And so uh, I really enjoyed the last tour. And so April, May, I'll be 
heading out across the country with Just for Laughs, and I'm looking forward to that. Something special. I, I mean, I'm not saying like I know, but there's something special about being in person on stage. Yeah, what that's like with oh, regards sure. to an audience, a live audience. Sure. And even though all the years I was in TV, there was always a studio audience, mm-hmm. and so you'd always appear live in front of them, and then also everything you shot that week would get played back, and and that was uh, that was an important relationship. Yeah, I don't like going too long without that. Well, congratulations on the book, Rick Mercer, talking to Canadians. It it reads in your voice, which is really cool. You know, the, as, oh, as a reader, you. You, and, and I think that like not everybody's able to capture that, but you've got such a, a distinct and beautiful style. And uh, it, it was a great read cover to cover. It's been a pleasure having you here on Real Talk, Rick. Thanks for doing it and all the best. Thank you, Rick Mercer. There you have it on Real Talk. Our thanks to Rick for that. Wanted to remind you that these interviews are made possible because we have uh, an amazing roster of sponsors that invest in real talk. And we ask you to invest in their businesses when it comes time to make big decisions like what you're going to be driving next, what vehicle your family's going to hit the highway in. At Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, they've always got new inventory showing up. That's not always been the story for car dealerships over the past year and a half for a lot of reasons. Kind of a perfect storm. Well, these Grand Cherokee L's have touched down the third row of seating that Grand Cherokee everybody's getting excited about. And then, of course, the Grand Wagoneer. There's been great anticipation around this. It's going head to head against the Escalades and the Navigators and the X5s. You have to, you owe it to yourself to check out those Grand Wagoneers at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Our friends at Local Waste, I know we're getting excited about this coming Friday, another edition of Trash Talk. It's presented proudly by Local Waste. They love giving you a chance to get things off your chest. I mean, they're in the business of handling things, right? They've been keeping it local for a quarter century. Construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. Whether it's a one-off, you're doing a new roofing job, maybe new exterior siding, you need something to do. With all this garbage that happens around the construction site, or maybe it's a restaurant, you're looking for a permanent bin that you don't have to think about, localwaste.ca is your source for that. Our friends at Friesen Brothers, 16 locations across the province of Alberta. Heads up, everybody. It is December 1st today, which means it's 15% off at Friesen Brothers from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. as long as you spend a minimum of $75. This is when our family goes grocery shopping the first of the month. Plus, Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores will be hosting a Christmas feast this month every Saturday from 4 to 8 p.m. Get this, 25 bucks a person, all you can eat turkey and ham the dinner buffet i take those types of opportunities seriously i take it as my mission to try to put businesses out of business when they give you the when they dangle the all you can eat incentive oh let's see about that maybe it's a loss leader maybe that's how they see it you're not going to find better food than you will at friesen brothers trust me a team of red seal chefs quarterbacking what they're doing there absolutely fantastic stuff well, we're excited uh, to have uh, celebrated actor, Academy Award nominee, uh, Screen Actors Guild winner. Obviously, you know, do I really need to tee up William H. Macy? Everybody's got their favorite William H. Macy film. We're super excited to be partnering with him and his team at Woody Creek Distillers for the Real Talk cask number one bourbon it's just out our patreon supporters already know where they can find it there's pre-sale access there check your emails for the rest of you if you subscribe to our real talk sunday message that's our weekly email that goes out lets you know about some of the highlights from the week before and some of the highlights coming up 
the next week. You can subscribe for free at the bottom of the page at RyanJesperson.com. You'll have details coming up this Sunday evening on where you can find our Woody Creek Distillers bourbon. Real Talk cast number one limited release. There's just over 200 bottles available. Uh, and so we're expecting that to sell out quickly. William H. Macy in just a few moments. Every Wednesday, uh, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper, we have a chance to get out to the mountains, to, to breathe that fresh air or at least remember what it's like when we're lucky enough to be out experiencing My Jasper Memories. And in this week's edition of My Jasper Memories, I want to remind you that this holiday season, there are all sorts of ways to inject cheer into your time off. You know that Santa and Mrs. Claus have their very own cabin at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. Their famous sleigh and reindeer are going to be parked at the JPL while they enjoy their stay in the historic Courtview Cabin, eagerly awaiting visitors. Your opportunity to get an amazing family photo, plus a personalized letter from Santa. If you drop off your letter in the Fairmont's main lodge from December 19th through the 24th, that's a magical week to be out there. Santa himself will deliver a reply to your guest room the next day via reindeer airmail. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. You can also view and cast votes for your favorite gingerbread house designed and created by the talented culinary team at the Fairmont JPL. And you can sign up for a horse-drawn wagon ride around Lac Beauvert. That is an incredible opportunity. What a memory there. When you're all done, why not explore the park by skiing and skating and tobogganing and ice walking and wildlife watching and so much more. You can find out more about this at jasper.travel slash real talk. That's where you can look back on past editions of my Jasper memories and learn more about this magical part of Canada, of course, Jasper National Park. We also invite you to share with us your Jasper memories. And that's exactly what Susan did. She posted this tweet to us just literally about an hour ago. She said, I am enjoying beautiful My Jasper memories, mountains, beautiful friends. She says, Moline Canyon, we're headed to the third bridge on the High Line. Look at this from Susan. Look at these photos. Hoyles, you getting, I'm getting the impression that she's posting these live. <laughs> it I, seems like I, it. I kind yeah. of feel like I'm there with her. This is real talk, real time. Real talk, real time. I love it. Susan, thanks for taking us with you. If you post photos or video using the hashtags MyJasper and RealTalkRJ, you never know when your images might be featured on a Wednesday right here on Real Talk. William H. Macy coming up in just a little bit. Plus, we've got a fantastic opportunity. That's a weird way to put it. I'm just a fantastic opportunity to share about online safety when it comes to posting photos of your kids and your family. But what I mean is that the guests we're going to talk to Katrina Ingram, who's the CEO of an agency and organization ethically aligned AI, artificial intelligence. And there and then uh, Claire Rodhaver, uh, an online photo safety expert uh, chiming in from North Carolina, I think. Isn't that right? Correct. Stateside. Yep. This is her wheelhouse. So she's a professional photographer. She, she does family photos in the whole nine yards. Uh, but this is something that she's really been advocating for online is for, for parents and, and caregivers and, and everybody involved to maybe be keeping a more keen eye or be a little bit more aware of some of the implications of posting photos that could identify family members online. It's not sort of an everybody panic type theme. No, absolutely not. And uh, like to start off, it's not. It's not like, no, do not post photos. Right. Case closed. Yeah, not realistic. Not realistic. So what does that look like? How can it be done safely? And it was because of her clients. Her clients were like, hey, I love these photos. They're gorgeous. I want to share them. And so she realized, oh, 
we need to figure out how to do this and do this safely. Yeah. So she's it's been because of demand that she was like, I better I better bone up on this. And there's different ways that you see people doing it. Mm. Like I've seen a lot of Claire's photos and we'll be showing you some examples. If you're listening to the podcast, you can always go back and check it out on, on YouTube. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's kind of this, the, the photographic style of having the, you know, the family sort of looking back or the faces are kind of somewhat blurred using like a long lens or it's just creative cutoffs of the mm. framing. And then there are the people that just throw like the emoji over the face of the baby. Yeah, just you know, gets, it, gets it done. Yeah, grade one photos are out, and then you just have like the emoji over the little guy's face, which is, you know, nothing wrong with that either. It's just different styles. I uh, wanted to leave an opportunity as well to get into some emails. So many of you take the opportunity to be in touch with us, to talk at ryanjesperson.com, including Kayla. This is kind of an interesting tee up, I think, for our conversation with William H. Macy. I mean, he's just wrapped the final season of Shameless, yeah. right? The 11th season of that celebrated series 11 seasons uh it was a huge one for him personally the the character frank gallagher and uh who's a a father in chicago family someone of a dysfunctional family um dealing with his alcoholism and we've been talking about alcoholism and, and even more so the use of the word alcoholic on the show and kayla reached out and i really i liked this i i, I wanted to get to it um she says i'm, I'm catching up uh, on old episodes and over the past couple of days uh, what you've said about you know what I'm going to do I've never done this before this sucks I just read right at the end she says please don't use my name and I've and I've read her name and I'm not going to yeah, yeah, I can't do it on the fly I can't do it I'm just going to respect it as you should I'm going to respect it I wish I that wish that was just I should so this have is a highlighted note. This the circle. Is a note, though. Just make asterisks sure to, and, and and if you don't want me to use your real name, maybe don't use your real name in the email. But put it at the very top. I mean, yes, we do our due diligence. Gosh darn it! No, that's not. That, I mean, this one's on me. I'm gonna own it. I'm gonna own it. This one's on me. That's such a shame. That's my fault. Uh, this is a first for us. But you know what? It's really it's a really sensitive it's it's sensitive subject matter. Yeah. Should have been Karen. Karen wrote in with this email. <laughs> Now everyone's just going to be waiting for 72 hours from now when I read an email from Karen yeah, exactly. about use of the word alcoholic. Um, uh, Sarah, you've been keeping an eye on some of the other stories. <laughs> what a weird segment that just was. <laughs> everyone's going, well, what does she have to say about it? Only on Real Talk. It's man. only on Real Talk. It's just so personal. I got to respect that. And yeah. and hey, Kayla, thanks for being in touch with the show. And, and hey, mad respect. Your email resonated with me. Um Keeping an eye on what's been going on in in like basically some interesting developments uh, involving Rihanna today. <laughs> Except the story's way bigger than Rihanna. We say news, politics, and pop culture here on on Real Talk. So so what's going on here? This is pr- a pretty remarkable and a cool little story. But yeah. but big implications. Absolutely, news politics and pop culture this story features all of those things so news is barbados is the newest republic in the world they are no longer the the queen is no longer the tippy top yeah you put this on our radar yesterday uh prince charles was there yes to speak which was pretty interesting as barbados officially removes uh, queen elizabeth ii as its head of state as you said the world's newest republic so yesterday dame sandra mason sworn in as president and the prince of wales 
Prince Charles and uh, Rihanna, yeah. I mean, global superstar, mm-hmm. uh, attended the event, which coincided with the country's 55th anniversary of independence and one of the world's uh, biggest entertainers. I mean, with regards to audience, album sales, tour revenues, I mean, Rihanna is the bomb. And uh, this is uh, what they had to say about their national hero just a short time ago. On behalf of a grateful nation, but an even prouder people, we therefore present to you the designee for National Hero of Barbados, Ambassador Robin Rihanna Fenty. May you continue to shine like a diamond and bring honor to your nation by, where, by your words, by your actions, and to do credit wherever you shall go. God bless you, my dear. How cool is that? Um, So this ends Britain's centuries of influence, including more than 200 years when the island was a hub for the transatlantic slave trade. And so we're certainly going to be keeping an eye on that story as it develops. Well, our next guest probably doesn't need an introduction. Right. And uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to William H. Macy. I wish you guys could see what's going on behind the scenes right now. It's hilarious. We're ready. We're not ready. We're ready. We're not ready. And uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes, William H. Macy. Uh, But in the meantime, let me take a second to remind you that these interviews happen because we've got an amazing team of sponsors, including the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And this one got personal for me yesterday. So I'm, I'm so proud of our little guy, Wyatt, who uh, put on a brave face yesterday. It's not his first choice to get a needle. It's not his first choice. It's not every kid's first choice. But he said to me, Daddy, is it going to hurt? And I said, it's going to be like a mosquito bite, kiddo. And he said, and does this mean that I can play with my friends? And I said, I said, the more people that get vaccinated, the more we can have like birthday parties and we can get back to have sort of quote unquote normal gatherings and He's like, okay, daddy. And I said, plus, kiddo, when you get your shot, you can get whatever you want on our way home. And he goes, whatever I want. And I said, whatever you want. So he gets his shot. Shout out to the pharmacy techs. Shout out to everybody involved there. There was a little like emotional support dog on site. Because it's this, this, this whole like it's almost like a warehouse setup. It feels like it's in a strip mall. They've turned it into a public health center through the pandemic and there's there's dozens and dozens and dozens of kids in there getting their vaccinations age 5 to 11 so we get in the truck after and he says blizzards and so there we go i say for putting on a brave face getting vaccinated kiddo chooses whatever he wants it will blizzards it is well boy did you respond to this and a whole bunch of you let us know like angie says baselines dairy queen locations brilliant first of all says for us it's not like reward blizzards it's celebration blizzards when it comes to vaccinations we were nervous and excited and smart kids for the win says angie a whole bunch of you go on to say that blizzards have been a big part of your routine as well when it comes to celebrating great moves and smart moves on behalf of the kids out there i love it the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood parker at palisades nameo newcastle westmount and baseline road and a big shout out to them our friends at park power are powering our hashtag real talk rj 24 hours a day they're your friendly local utilities provider you can compare rates on electricity natural gas and internet right now live on the fly and it's easy if you want to switch over from your current provider because they do all the work for you how easy is that? There's no awkward breakup conversation. The promo code 2021-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. Our next guest is a celebrated actor, 
a director, a musician, a woodworker, and a whiskey enthusiast. He's just wrapped up the 11th and final season of the wildly popular series Shameless, in which he played the character of Frank Gallagher, which garnered rave reviews. He's a partner and a spokesperson for Woody Creek Distillers, and we're thrilled to be partnering with them with the release of the Real Talk cask number one bourbon. What a pleasure to welcome to the show, William H. Macy. Thanks for making time for us, and welcome to Real Talk. Well, it's my pleasure, and I'm pleased to be here. Where are you sitting right now? Are you, you're actually in the distillery, it looks like. Yep. There's uh, two big pot stills back there, and uh, this is where the magic happens. It's oh, beautiful, i got to tell you. Uh, absolutely amazing. So with this, I understand a little bit of what's going on. It sounds to me like you're home in Colorado. You're literally next door to the distillery. Is that right? Not next door to the distillery, the next town up, we're in Woody Creek. The distillery is in Basalt, but um, they grew potatoes. The guys grew potatoes in one of our fields. And uh, that's how I got involved. My wife, Felicity, grew up in Little Woody Creek. She's uh, from the time she was about, I think, four years old, five years old. And I've been coming here since I was 30. So... um, I call it home now, and we have a lovely home here and um, spend as much time here as possible. Thank you, Shameless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely amazing. I want to ask you about that in just a little bit. Um, there's somebody sitting next to you. Is this, is this David Matthews? Is this, is this the master distiller that's sitting next to you? This is Dave, our master distiller and um, underline master. <laughs> well, David, well, welcome to the show. We're, I'm going to roll you into this interview here. We were going to talk to you next week, but let's talk now. Let's, tell me about Woody Creek. I mean, a lot of people are going to go, and people have already asked us. First of all, they're really excited about the Real Talk bourbon. I know a ton of people are really excited about Woody Creek touching down in Canada. I mean, this is relatively a new market for you guys, and this is going to be a new product for Canadians, in particular Western Canadians. That's the majority of our audience. What's Woody Creek all about? Woody Creek's all about um, authentic spirits. We, um, we, we are almost, almost 10 years old, 10 years of production. The, 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 the project started a bit before that, obviously. Um, our whole raison d'etre is to, is to make genuine spirits from scratch, from raw materials that we source locally. So it's a, it's a very legitimate brand. It's... Um, and it turns out you can do that and make it and make a good a good product as well. So at a price, it's it's, it's tasty. So we are super excited to um, to launch in Canada, um, in Alberta primarily. I'm uh, personally excited because my sister Gwyneth lives in um, lives in Calgary, so it's gonna give me gonna give me an excuse to go see her, I guess, at go. some at some point. Um, yeah, super excited. We're um, we're working with Stephen Travis at uh, PWS Imports to uh, get the product up there. I believe it's going to hit the shelves on Monday the sixth in the stores. So um, go out there and get some. Yeah, we've got our so we've got our Patreon crew, and they've got presale access to the Real Talk cask. And I know that there's going to be a lot more from the Woody Creek lineup touching down in Canada. We'll have details coming up in our Real Talk Sunday message this. This next Sunday, uh, William, what do you hold? What was the bottle that you were holding in your hand there? Is that what you're? Because my understanding has been you've been like a rye whiskey guy for for quite some time. That's kind of been your go-to. Well, I'm a Southern boy, so I grew up drinking bourbon. I love Scotch whiskey, 
But this stuff changed my life. This is the rye whiskey. Everything in this bottle came from Colorado. Everything in any Woody Creek bottle came out of Colorado. It's all locally sourced. Uh, the rye, I love bourbon. I love the bite of a, of a good bourbon. Um, the rye is smoother, a little bit sweeter. And um, oh my goodness. It's uh, the nectar of the gods. It's my new drink. <laughs> I love and, uh, it. I like it, I like it uh, on the rocks, but you can make wonderful cocktails out of it, too. I We were tweeting out yesterday uh, a, a couple of glamour shots of, of our bottle, the Woody Creek Distillers bottle, and, and one of you in particular you know you've, you've got this great coat on you're sipping on a bourbon and uh bill one of our audience members chimes in and and, and he says you know he never looked this good drinking on shameless uh <laughs> congratulations on a wrap of what was an absolutely incredible series did you ever dream that 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 was gonna go 11 seasons and garner the reviews that it did and the Emmy implications. And I mean, the, the huge reach that shameless had, how are you processing it now? 11 years later, I had a feeling it was going to be successful. Um, I'm pretty good at reading scripts and it was great. It was based on a British series of the same title. I saw the first season of that. The second season on you needed subtitles and <laughs> they shot it up North and, Great Britain somewhere, and I couldn't understand what they were saying, but um, I knew it was good. John Wells was the guy who, he wrote the pilot, and he was the showrunner and the grand poobah of the whole thing, and he's a genius. And they got this Cracker Jack cast, and I had a feeling we'd be there for a while, but 11 years, that's a... That's a bases loaded grand slam, man. Unbelievable. And I I mean, I love you, you pushed out people that follow you on social media will have read it already. But but you released kind of a love letter. You called it to your fans, uh, but you didn't call them that. You said, I love you. And you said a lot of people use the word fans. And you said, I've always preferred audience. And I thought that was an interesting insight. What's the difference with regards to the way that you perceive who you do your work for? Who's taking in this work? I don't know. Audience is a more serious sounding word. Certainly fans, you think of them going, oh, it's the guy from that show. What's his name? Um, audience seems to me to denote that they watched it and they loved it and they got what we were trying to do. And uh, perhaps audience carries the weight of an aficionado. Amazing. So, you, so Dave, you've got uh, a pretty high profile partner here a pretty high profile spokesperson here what's it like when i mean do you call him bill what's it like when bill walks into the distillery is he just another one of the guys you you still call the shots around there is he coming up with all of his own ideas on what maybe the distillery could do next um i asked them to bow (laughs) oh is that right i um bill is genuinely a great guy um i i enjoy it whenever he's around he's uh he's fun to hang out with he's um i don't I don't know a lot about uh, what A-list, A-list celebrities are supposed to be like, but um, if they're all like him, then I'd love to meet more because he's, uh-huh. uh, he's fun to hang around with. He's perfectly normal. He'll, uh, he'll go grab me a drink if I need one. He's, he's a great guy. Love it. Dave, people can check out WoodyCreekDistillers.com for more on what you're doing at the distillery and the, and the different uh, options that people are going to have as, as you enter the Canadian market, including your vodka, which a lot of people are talking about. But I want to specifically ask you about this Real Talk cask number one bourbon um it's this 100 percent olaf corn which my understanding is and when you sent me four samples and we chose the 
cask. This one to me was was a head by a mile. It was heads and shoulders in my mind. It's a beautiful, somewhat sweet bourbon. Um, but can you tell our audience what they can expect if they get their hands on a bottle of this? Absolutely. So I believe that was a seven-year-old. It's and it's pronounced Olathe. Olathe. Okay. Um, it's a local corn that's grown um, about 15, 20 miles away in a straight line. But to get to it, because we're in, the, well, you guys are in the mountains too. But you know, to get to get to it, it's actually like a three-hour drive. So um, I was sourcing that corn. I haven't actually made any for a while. It was I was sourcing that corn from Alatha, so I'd go over there and pick it up and uh, drive it back here and mash it. The um, we, use a, we were using a seed corn to, to make the whiskey. Um, but in about August, whenever the, the harvest is, they, they bring out the, the sweet corn. It's very, very popular locally. It's an incredibly sweet corn. So it's great corn on the cob. It's, you, know, you can grill it. You can do whatever you do with corn with it. Um, I was a little disappointed with the, whisk, with the whiskey it made for the first couple of years. It took longer than I expected for that whiskey to, for that bourbon to, to develop in the barrel and, and, and uh, for all those, those sweet notes and, and the complexity in it to, to become apparent. But um, it happened eventually and um, you're, I've, gone, I've only got about 20 barrels of it um, and they're going fast. You're, you're not the only one who has selected one of those lately. I'm, um, I'm, I'm glad that you got one and if you guys up north like it enough, we better get another one lined up for pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I like it is a bit of an understatement. We're trying to decide what we're going to do with our bottles. I kind of want to just keep them all for myself, but we're thinking that maybe there are a few people that might deserve I, I, have, I have that habit too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like I, I don't want to give it up. It's like, oh no, yeah. it's the last so I'm going to just put that in my cupboard and, and keep it forever. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Bill, can you tell us about this Willie Creeks? About your alter ego, who is this guy? Tell us all about this guy. This is amazing. People can check out this this full video uh, under the Woody Creek Distillers YouTube channel. But but tell us about Willie Creeks. He was a big rocker back in the '60s and '70s. He was in almost every single band, a hair band at a at a point. He was a a folk guy, and then um, there was a very I was going to say famous, but infamous. Rolling Stone interview that went horribly awry. No one can find it. Rolling Stone won't talk about it, but he disappeared for 25 years. And uh, he sort of, he recently reappeared in, um, in the Aspen area. And uh, he looks exactly like me, if you catch my drift. <laughs> he looks remarkably like me. I met him in the, um, at the Woody Creek Tavern one time, and uh, we drank too much and had a swell time, but he's... He's pretty insulting and um, uh, uh, obstreperous. He's, you can't work with him. But he's been writing these new songs, which he's allowed me to sing. And that's, <laughs> I'm gonna, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's, it's very cool. Can we expect to see or hear more from Willie Creeks? Is this like an ongoing project for real? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Willie's like got a new song. It's called Age Like a Badass. Um, the story is he was with Dave in one of the um, warehouses where the, which, oh my God, you must see. These warehouses are gigantic. They're climate controlled and they're stacked to the rafters with these magnificent barrels. And the smell when you walk in there is stunning. It's so many smells, but it, you just feel like you're home. At any rate, 
Willie Creeks was in there. Dave had the whiskey thief out and he was checking um, one of the barrels and Willie took a sip. And uh, by all accounts, he got emotional and he said he he petted the barrel and he said, oh, you're aging like a badass. And the phrase is stuck. So he wrote a song, Age Like a Badass. I love it. We got a we had a, a hilarious tweet. Well, I mean, we got a bunch of tweets, obviously, when when we told people that that you were going to be on the show. And uh, I love this one from Randall. Randall chimes in right away uh, and, and, he, and he tells us that uh, he's he's super excited to hear about your woodworking, wood turning. Uh, he had uh, and this was like the number one thing he wanted to hear you talk about. Uh, so Randall tweets at me yesterday and he says, for God's sake, please ask William H. Macy about wood turning. When I found out he's a lathe turner, I was giddy as a schoolgirl, says Randall. Just the coolest hobby that I also share with the coolest guy. When it comes to wood turning, has this been something that the, over the course of, of many years you've developed this skill? Is this this your spare time kind of thing? I was doing Fargo, the Coen Brothers movie Fargo. We've heard of it, yeah. yeah. A lot of time off, and we were shooting in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I went to a woodworking store, and there was a, a little mini lathe, and uh, I bought it. And uh, there was a, a thing on the bulletin board said, take wood turning lessons. So I went to... Um, to this guy's house, went down to the basement. He taught me how to turn. They had a big warehouse for the shoot and we shot some scenes in there and that's where they stored stuff. And I asked someone, I'm pretty sure I asked and I set up my lathe in the corner of this thing and I started turning. And um, Joel and Ethan at one point said, what is that over there? But I gave them a bowl and so I was invited to stay. I've been turning ever since. It, 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 he's not wrong. It's a magical thing to do. You can start with a big hunk of tree and um hmm. six hours later you've got a beautiful salad bowl yeah i mean just incredible stuff i mean it's I, I, and i think people love to learn this about you know you hear like about a guy that's been in all these big movies and all these big productions and then people are most curious to know like what are your hobbies and how do you express yourself like off stage or off camera with these creative pursuits and, and, and obviously there's a parallel story here too with the distillery uh, gives yeah. people some insight into your interests and what makes you tick was that part of the appeal of, of of i mean being willing it's one thing to be a silent partner it's another thing to step up and say i'll be a spokesperson for a brand well um i love to drink <laughs> me too um, that's why these guys are fun to be with. <laughs> yeah, they test the products on a regular basis to make sure everything is good. And so when you're with them, it's sort of a hazy weekend, but boy, do we have fun. And um, uh, I'm sort of enamored of the whole process. I mean, these big pot stills back here, the first time Homo sapiens made it was in the year 700. This... Um, Arabic guy invented the pot still. It looked kind of like that. It has a pot. It has the uh, swan neck thing and then the, the coil where the, the alcohol dis, um, condenses. condenses. And uh, people were hardly writing in the year 700. So there are only accounts of this guy. So it predates that. I love that human beings were making whiskey distilled spirits that long ago. And what's amazing about this is that these stills, which are German stills, Carl stills, correct? They are state of the art and they're gorgeous. They're all copper and stainless steel and they're almost two stories high. They're not that much different than the original pot still. 
It, the process is the same. This, this, this alcohol is a gorgeous combination of the highest tech possible and a process which is a thousand years old. And um, I just find it so incredibly romantic. And it's fun to watch Dave work. I mean, that bourbon, that barrel of bourbon that you've got, that's sort of a famous story. He was disappointed with it. And it was big news the day he came in. They're still talking about it. And he said, hey, it's changed. It's finding itself. And they were so excited about it. It's one of the nicest bourbons we've, we've got now. But there's a little desk over here. And when you're in the distillery, you'll see Dave. <laughs> Uh, with a little beaker. He drinks it out of a beaker. I think he thinks it makes it look more scientific. Right, less, yeah. It's research. Less, less obvious. Yes. <laughs> and you see him drinking. There's a spit bucket there, but I've noticed there's not much in it. Anyway, no, yeah. he's testing this stuff constantly. It's, uh, I love that, that, that sort of the romantic idea of it and, and like the late, the latest technology and then that whole ethos around the history of it. And, 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 you know, at his, in its most pure sense, um, Dave, we got this great question from Rose who's watching us live right now on YouTube. She says, when I see pictures of the landscape, she's checking out your website, uh, around Woody Creek, this Colorado landscape, Rose says, I think about you know, all of those illegal distilleries in the old days, you know, prohibition and the like. She, she wonders, did you convert an abandoned distillery to the current one? Or what's the story of, of the facility or the location or the history in the context of the bootleggers and everything else? In the context, well, I just for the record want to state that I have never made any alcohol in an illegal setting. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh-huh. Okay, that's uh-huh. Once, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's it's fairly common if you are going to go down that route, route please do it safely. Um, people get hurt doing that sometimes. Uh, there is a history of bootlegging in Colorado, mostly from about the 1880s, um, over by Colorado Springs. I forget the name of the family, and I probably wouldn't mention it if I did remember <laughs> it, but um, they were pretty well known for uh, producing a pretty good whiskey, I understand. Um... The history of Woody Creek uh, is a little bit tied, oddly enough, to potato growing. Um, the valley we're in, the Roaring Fork Valley, historically grew a lot of potatoes. Um, Teddy Roosevelt specifically asked for Roaring Fork Valley potatoes for his inauguration dinner. At um, one point, Colorado exported more potatoes than Idaho. Yeah. Really? Um, 100 years ago, but still. Still, so, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so part of our part of our history was um, is we we grow potatoes for the vodka. So the potato vodka, if you can get your hands on a bottle, it's award winning. It's great vodka. Has a little bit of flavor. It's not entirely neutral. It's unfiltered. Um, delicious. So that's that was kind of our starting point. We started with the vodka. We were making whiskey at the same time. Two gold medals. First time out of the shoot. Two gold medals. Best vodka. I, I told you it was great to hang out with, didn't I? Best vodka <laughs> and best spirit in San Francisco. That's like winning all the academy awards with a vodka hello <laughs> what do you mean so i don't want to read too much into the comment but i would love to chat about vodka for a second because vodka's kind of like and dave i know you won't take offense to this but but bill maybe i'll ask you first like people sort of you'll see people say see a bottle of like 130 dollar vodka and they'll go eh 
like how much different is it than like $25 bottle, you know, or, or $30 bottle? People don't sort of give vodka its due when it comes to us achieving that excellence. What is it that you've noticed about the Woody Creek vodka that you like so much? I'm afraid I agree with most of the people. I mean, vodka is vodka. It's it comes out of the still as vodka. The difference between that and uh, Woody Creek, which is uh, 100% potato vodka, is that, as Dave says, it has a taste. So I like it on the rocks with a, a squeeze of lime. Um, we have a home in California, so we have a, a a key lime tree and a Meyer lemon tree, and those. The key lime in particular, take a key lime, put both halves uh, in this vodka. It's great on the rocks. Vodka usually tastes like what you mix it with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I have this conversation a lot. If you're, if you're making a Bloody Mary, um, you know, it's not going to make any difference what vodka you put in it. If you're drinking, it, if you're drinking a, a martini or something or neat vodka, then uh, you, will, you will notice a difference if you try a vodka and compare it to whatever you normally use. There's a purity too, which I didn't know about. Um, Mark Kleckner, who's one of the owners, was uh, uh, taking me through the um, distillery here. And he talked about the second distillation of some of these, where it takes out the, help me out, the ethanol and some of the, there's- We're separating the ethanol from the, uh, the, the byproducts, so heads and tails. There's alcohol and there's alcohol. Some are good. Some are not so good. Right. I said, what do you do, what do, you do with the uh, not so good alcohol that you pull out of it? And he handed me a bottle. It was hand sanitizer. <laughs> oh, well, that's cool, though. <laughs> good to know. So when you buy a cheap vodka, <laughs> you know, you're drinking a bit of hand sanitizer, which is not to be indelicate, but you can drink a lot of Woody Creek and go to work the next day. You drink cheap stuff. Oh, we, I've heard that it can prove to be problematic. Uh, I, <laughs> so I cracked a, I, I, I cracked a bottle of our uh, this Woody Creek bourbon that we've partnered with you on this team. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. I, I drink my neat. Um, I'm looking forward to trying it in an old fashioned. But uh, Bill, I was listening to a podcast that you recently did. And I was wondering, I think people might be interested to know what you drink at home can you tell us about this is it it's the uh the macy or the family household cocktail life without fear with a twist what goes into this um i think that was a picture of the smile yeah that's 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 a photo that we uh from the woody creek website but your life without fear with a twist this is what you have at home what was that all about it's um it's uh rye whiskey um a dollop of maple syrup. I'm, I'm a big fan of maple syrup now. Uh, 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 club soda, ice, and uh, more lemon than you would probably think to put in. Uh, I like to take the, I put almost the entire lemon in. And it's called A Life Without Fear with a Twist. You know, you had our whole audience at maple syrup. 
I love maple syrup. It comes from the mighty maple tree. <laughs> yeah, Got to yeah. be good for you. It's kind of it's kind of a bit of a thing up here. You guys may be aware. We're very proud of our maple syrup and, and our and our and our neighbors in eastern Canada do an amazing job with it. Uh, gentlemen, it's it's really cool, obviously, to have you on the show, and it's equally as cool for us to be partnering with you on this. It, it it's it's pretty exciting for me to be holding the bottle in my hands after you know uh, months and months of, of going back and forth between the teams. There you go. Look at that. Uh, Woody Creek Distillers. Uh, they've worked with us and the amazing team. Shout out to Stephen and Travis with PWS Imports as well, bringing Woody Creek into Canada. Uh, you can learn more about this if you're a Patreon supporter of ours or, of course, if you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message. You can do that at the bottom of the page at RyanJesperson.com. You can also go directly to WoodyCreekDistillers.com to learn more about what they're doing. This award winning gold medal winning distillery out of the beautiful state of colorado what a pleasure to connect with david matthews master distiller and of course legendary actor director and whiskey enthusiast william h macy to the both of you thanks for making time for us today thank you it's a pleasure meeting you very cool stuff uh real talkers let us know what you think about our bourbon uh it's a cask number one which means it's our first time working with woody creek and uh pws imports for that matter and you're going to be learning more about that in the weeks to come. It'll be publicly available coming up on Monday. And if you want to know where you can buy it, subscribe to our email, our Real Talk Sunday message at the bottom of the page at ryanjesperson.com. Coming up in just a second, what do you need to keep in mind when it comes to online safety, posting family photos? Is it, is it something that's crossed your mind? Is it something that you're aware of? If you go, of course, obviously, well, then you're probably going to maybe be a little bit familiar with at least one of our guests. Claire Rodhaver is an online photo safety expert out of North Carolina. It's her business, making sure that families know what they need to know here. Katrina Ingram also joining us, the CEO of Ethically Aligned AI. That's coming up in just a second. I want to remind you that the work never stops season to season to season with the team at Eden Landscaping. They're still building outdoor structures for people that are keen on barbecuing or getting that smoker going outside in the middle of a February snowstorm, why not get your, your pergola or your, your gazebo built now? Mike and his team can bring your outdoor space to life 12 months a year. They're also starting to get going on the design phase of a lot of the projects that they're going to break ground on in the spring. If you'd like your yard, your outdoor space, wherever it is, to be ready to rock next summer, now's the perfect time to go to landscapeedmonton.ca. Reach out to Mike and his team for a quote. You can peruse their portfolio, check out the services they offer, including trenching, whatever you need, retaining walls, different types of decorative brick. I mean, they do everything. Uh, it's earned the return business and referrals of their clients for more than 20 years. We're also very proud to partner with Canada's online university. You know by now it's Athabasca University with their world-class accredited online programs and courses. They offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. A while ago when we were talking about bilingualism in business, we searched on the fly using the search tool at AthabascaU.ca French courses. And I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was super impressed at how many courses they offer from the one-offs all the way through to total accreditation. Well, this is about to become relevant with our next segment because one of our next guests is the featured expert in a new micro course through Athabasca's Power Ed program. You can learn more about that at AthabascaU.ca. Katrina Ingram, the featured expert in a Power Ed micro course on artificial intelligence and ethics. How cool is that? 
Katrina is also, by the way, the founder and CEO of Ethically Aligned AI. Claire Rodhaver is a professional photographer based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Claire, uh, through the course of her work, saw some risks in sharing certain types of images online, including family photos. And, and so she started creating educational content about online photo safety for her clients and for her audience. She's about to release an online course herself. You know, this was put on our radar by an audience member by the name of Lisa. A shout out to Lisa today who reached out and, and she said, I've heard you and your team, Sarah and you, Ryan, talking about privacy, uh, in particular, when Sarah was posting photos of her nieces and nephews online. And, and Lisa says, this is something I'm thinking about constantly as my husband and I prepare to have kids we're already discussing this and experiencing potential issues on this topic with our parents she said i'd love to see claire rada have her on the show what a pleasure to welcome claire and katrina ingram both of you thanks for making time for us on real talk uh, uh claire shout out from canada you're joining us from north carolina this morning how did this all come about for you so you're you're a, you're a professional photographer you're working with families obviously social media platforms are growing and growing and growing in prominence everything's going online and you're starting to see some red flags. Yeah. So I started as a family photographer. And when I started my business, I'm a very practical by the books person. So I started researching, okay, how can I properly post pictures and safely post pictures of my clients and their children online? And in doing that research, I just started seeing that a lot of the things that I could do as a business owner parents didn't know that they could potentially also be putting their kids at risk. And so I started talking about it and people really needed the information and they kind of just took off from there. <laughs> Katrina, how has this wound up on, on your radar? I mean, is this, I, I suppose there's probably a personal element to this that everybody's got to be aware in their own personal life of the implications of, of posting photos and other personal content, but this is also your profession, right? The ethics of artificial intelligence. Absolutely, Ryan. So I got into uh, this area in a little bit of a roundabout way. I actually wound up going back to school to do a master's degree and wound up getting really um, interested in this area of AI and ethics and really wanted to understand what was going on. And in the course of looking at AI, I came to realize just how much data is needed to train these AI systems and what that really means in terms of privacy. And so uh, all these technologies are kind of wrapped up in these issues of privacy. All of these online photos that we share are actually being scraped off of the internet and used to train these AI systems. And it's not an issue that many people are aware of. I think we're starting to become more aware of it, but it's still something that flies under the radar. Okay, I want to ask both of you because you're coming at this from two different angles, which is fantastic. Uh, and Claire, in just a second, I want to ask you about style and framing and some of the tips that people can consider uh, with regards to preserving some of that privacy. But I want to follow up, Katrina, with what you're talking about. How, how can people kind of get ahead of that AI or get ahead of those algorithms? What are some things to consider from maybe a more technical standpoint or, or at least as, as a foundational understanding of best practice? Yeah, I think it's a really challenging issue, Ryan. And I think we, we can't really have a conversation about privacy without first talking about consent. So let me just unpack that a little bit for you. So consent is this idea that we've agreed to do something. And it comes in two different flavors. One is implied consent. So implied consent is kind of showing up. You show up in a public space and your expectations are that you're in a public space. So, you know, people might be taking pictures and so forth. But when you're in a private space, you have different expectations. So that's one flavor of consent. The other is called express consent. And that's really when someone asks you, is it okay if you do X, Y, and Z? 
And we're confronted with this idea of express consent online every single day. We have these terms and conditions um, kind of pages. They're really long and complicated. Nobody really reads them. And so we just check on the box that says, yes, we agree to these terms and conditions because we want to use that app. We want to download that game. And when we do that, we're actually giving our consent legally to have that information shared in ways that perhaps we don't want it to be shared. So that's part of the issue in terms of dealing with this. Now, there are things that you can do as an individual. I'm sure Claire has lots of tips around that. But just to kind of set up the context of what we're talking about, it kind of is wrapped into this idea of consent. Claire, from from a, uh, a, a what's the word I'm looking for, like a composition standpoint or from a creative standpoint, um, there's also ways that people can. I keep why am I being so hesitant to use the phrase protect their privacy? I guess I'm I guess to be honest with you, the root of this is I don't want to turn this into some sort of a conversation. And I'm not saying either of you have taken this position. Certainly not. But we don't want people to be like paranoid and concerned and scared. And for me to be acting like everybody's out to get pictures of your child. But at the same time, when you hear of it happening and it does happen. It's totally disturbing. So I'm, I'm trying to sort of have a balanced perspective on on how I'm asking you how you approach this from, from a creative standpoint. What are some things people should keep in mind? You've got some great tips on your website. Yeah, thank you. And I want to kind of circle back. It's really important to remind people of that balance, because even when I talk about this, I get messages from people that start freaking out and I say, OK, all right, hold on. It's going to be OK. You know, we can learn and we can move forward. Um, So it's really important to keep that balanced approach. It's not about fear mongering. It's just about awareness is vigilance. And so when I break down online photo safety, I break it into uh, privacy and respect and safety. And so when it comes to actually taking photos, you want to consider respect. And that's that consent and ownership over your digital identity or your child's digital identity and then safety as well. And so how you take certain pictures in my research, I found that having a lot of people in the image makes it harder for predators to Photoshop an image. It makes it like the the distance from the camera makes it harder. And also just think about your surroundings. Think about landmarks. Think about street signs. You can reverse image search the front of a house and they can find out where you live. I always encourage people to focus on details, focus on shoes, focus on the back of their head with their cute little hairstyle or holding their hand and just let kids be kids. Because a lot of times we want to say, sit down and smile. And that can sometimes be some of the most dangerous images because they can easily find your child, depending on what's in the background, but just let kids be kids and photograph those non-perfect moments. And it tends to be a little bit safer. We've we've got some interesting examples pulled from, you know, what do we say? Famous people, notable people online. Uh, Daniel Fischel is an example. The actor, she, she posted this photo. Here's an example of something from her Instagram. That's, I think, exactly what you're talking about. Claire, just a really beautiful shot. Her and her little one walking hand in hand. It's shot from behind. There's no identifying features. You can't tell. There's no house number. There's no front of the home. It's the type of photo I think you're talking about. And then, there, and then there's yeah. this approach from actor Kristen Bell. We'll describe it for the benefit of people listening in on the podcast two little cuties with emojis the sunglass smile plastered right over their face that's another way to do it i guess maybe a little more aesthetic a little less aesthetically pleasing yeah and i think it depends on your values and that's one thing i talk about everyone has 
their own comfortability. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with putting an emoji on their kid's face. To them, it feels disrespectful or rude or like they're trying to hide their kid. Mm. Some people prefer the more creative approach because it feels more appealing. And it really just depends on what you want. If an emoji is the easiest for you, go for it. If you want to be a little more creative, go for it. Yeah, you know, and, and Katrina, I think that this is an interesting one, too, because Claire's teed this up nice. I mean, we talk about consent. Uh, you also have to think long term, right, about that when that child turns adult or teenage or whatever the case may be, maybe age is irrelevant. There's a digital footprint. There's a digital identity that's that's being created. That's online uh, photos. It's different when parents take a photo of a two year old in the bathtub in 1981 and it goes into the family photo book that stays on the shelf in the living room uh, versus a photo of that two-year-old post on Facebook that can be shared and captured and grabbed and edited and altered. And again, I'm not trying to sound paranoid, but again, it, it does happen. I mean, the digital era demands a different approach, doesn't it, Katrina? Absolutely. And Ryan, I totally agree with you. It's not about sounding alarmist or paranoid, but it is about being aware of these issues. And just to give you one example um, there's a lot of these AI systems that are now being used in the context of job hiring and recruitment. And so it's scanning kind of the digital universe, as you're saying, for, for potentially these pictures from way back when and other information. And sometimes that information can be used against you. It can be used to screen you out of an opportunity. And so I do think it's really important to think about the bigger context as we're sharing uh, these images online. What does that mean um, for your child down the road? Um, how will they feel about this? Will it impact some of the opportunities that they're afforded later in life? Those are really things that should be considered. Claire, have you had clients that that you work with, uh, clients that hire you to shoot their family photos or, or people? I mean, I know you do speaking engagements. You're going to have this online course people are talking about. Have you had people come to you and say that they've gone back and essentially combed through all their past content and maybe taken a lot of stuff down? I would imagine some people are scrolling through their Instagram. Some people probably as they're walking their dog listening to this podcast are going to be scrolling through their Instagram going, this one should probably come down. This one should probably come down. Do you hear that anecdotally? Yes, absolutely. And I kind of give some tips for where to start because it can feel overwhelming. Yeah. If you've shared a lot, you, you almost don't want to start because you don't know where to start. So I get a lot of parents just trying to figure out how to even start combing through everything. And Thankfully, social media platforms have made it easier for you to actually go in and take down all of your images for your personal keeping. Back a few years ago, that wasn't as easy as it is now. And so kind of taking those first steps of just taking the overtly kind of not okay images and then slowly figuring out what you're comfortable with and moving forward. I've, I've been reading a little bit uh, Katrina, I'm going to be 100% honest about this. Uh, probably like many of the people that are going to sign up for your uh, micro course through Power Ed at Athabasca. I don't know a ton. I actually don't. Okay, I'm going to be. I don't know anything about biometric data. I don't even know what it is, but it sounds to me like it's important. What do we need to know about biometric data and how does it fit into this conversation? Yeah, so biometric data is like a super sensitive type of data. And it fits into this conversation because facial recognition, which is probably a term that you've heard of, Ryan, and sure. your, your viewers have heard of, is part of biometric data. So our face, it can be our fingerprints, um, it can be things like our DNA. So it's kind of a wide ranging set of data. 
And it's really important because we're increasingly using biometric data to access things and to be convenient. So for example, many phones allow you to unlock your phone with your fingerprint or through facial recognition. And unlike your password, it's kind of hard to change your face. It's kind of hard to change your biometric data. And so there's this interesting tension going on where um, those in the privacy community have realized that passwords um, are, are not infallible and there's a lot of problems with that. And they're kind of looking at biometric data as a way of identifying uniquely you. But it also has this challenge because you really, you know, if that data gets into the wrong hands then you're really compromised. And so facial recognition and photos play into that category of biometric data. Once it's out there, it's out there, right? I mean, like, just not not to be the pessimist in some circumstances, but some photos that have been shared. I mean, Claire, you you look like you've got something to say about this. Well, it kind of. I guess there's really no way to know if it's ever fully gone. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, I know a lot of people. Everybody's got that one photo, me included. You got those couple of photos. You're like, thank God. First of all, there wasn't Facebook when I was 19. Number one. And because I probably wouldn't have a job. And, and number two, everybody's got the one photo. They're going, oh, man, that Halloween costume, that photo of me as a four year old, whatever it is, that one photo that everybody would love to take back um, to either of you. I'm so appreciative of your time. Before we thank you for that time, is, is there anything that we've missed or anything that's important to touch on here? Katrina, maybe we'll go with you first. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you think is really important to keep in mind in this context? Well, I'd just like to say, Ryan, that um, if your viewers are interested in learning more about this, I know you mentioned the new AI ethics certification that has just launched with PowerEd by Athabasca University. Um, it's a fantastic introduction, and we've really made it very accessible. So we meet people where they're at. You don't need any prior knowledge of artificial intelligence or privacy or any of these issues. Um, you can just come and take the course, and you will learn more about these issues. Love it. Claire, last word to you, my friend. Yeah. One thing I always like to say is if you're a little bit worried after hearing about this, my first step I always tell people is if you have Facebook or Instagram is comb through your followers and your friends mm. and remove anybody that you don't remember who they are. Um, Cause it's been a long time since a lot of people have done that. So that's always my, my first suggestion. Let me ask you though, Claire, because I mean that, and that is a good suggestion, but you've got people that have 50,000 followers um, and, and that that's maybe not, the average person's experience on a social media platform, but combing through that, it's almost like, you know, you make yourself publicly available to a certain degree. And, and that's kind of part of the point. Um, it's yeah. a bit of a different ball game in those circumstances, I guess. Definitely. And I think when it comes to that, it's, it's m more time and effort to consider who's following you, but it's definitely something to be aware of. Even if you have say a thousand followers, you can actually, I have a video on Instagram. You can go on Instagram and I have kind of a roundabout way. You can print a list of your followers. And while you're binging Tiger King or something, you can sit there and highlight the ones that you don't remember and then go back and remove them. Do you recommend them. that people set their, their Instagram accounts to private and then admit followers on a, on a, on a, on a request by request basis? If it's just your personal Instagram and it's purely for keeping in touch with family and friends, then I would say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good suggestions. 
uh, Claire Rodhaver has so many great resources on our website. You can check it out right now, ClaireRodhaver.com. Uh, Sarah's posted it, obviously, in the live chat on YouTube, and, and we'll be uh, getting that information out there. You can follow her on Instagram as well uh, at the same handle, Claire Rodhaver. Uh, Katrina Ingram is the CEO of Ethically Aligned AI and the featured expert in that new micro course at Athabasca U uh, through their Power Ed program, AI and Ethics. This is really important subject matter. I'm grateful for your perspectives on this. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You got it. And and a big shout out to the real talkers that are in touch with us to talk at RyanJesperson.com, letting us know what's important to you, what's on your radar. This isn't the type of talk show that's just going to chase the headlines all the time. You know, this is this is the top news story of the day. So we're going to do an hour on it every single day. Sometimes it's like, hey, what what are people not talking about? Uh, but what are issues that demand or deserve our attention or our investigation, so to speak? What do we need to chew the fat about? What's affecting our audience, our community? And how should we approach that in, in a way that that gleans real talk, so to speak? You can share your thoughts with us anytime, and I'll look forward to the emails from this one. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to learn more about what's going on at, at that Belarusian and Polish border. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, It's maybe not leading the headlines here, but it's certainly of note. Plus, climatologist Farron Anslow joins us as British Columbia continues to bravely face these storms. Seems like half the province underwater. We'll bring you an update. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing Director, Josh Dunford. Account Coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise Operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's Editorial Board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.